This might sound like the plot of a spy novel, but UK startups are increasingly at risk of state actors trying to steal their assets. Take one Scottish renewable manufacturer that was harnessing wave power. They were visited by a 60-strong delegation led by a senior Chinese official. A couple of months after that, some of their laptops were stolen. Guess what happened next? Yup, pictures emerged showing a Chinese firm making a product that was virtually identical. This is why we're working with the National Protective Security Authority and the National Cyber Security Center, the UK's security experts. They got in touch with us because they see such a growing threat facing UK startups. How are they responding? With the launch of a new campaign, Secure Innovation. It's not just your cybersecurity that matters, but your physical security too. If you want to get a better handle on your security, check out npsa.gov.uk forward slash innovation and download their free quick start guide. There's a link in the show notes. The day I had to let go of my last employee, which was my uh, art director, you know, I called him into my office and said, you know, I got to let you go. I can't. And it was almost like tears. I mean, he, you know, he was kind of like my right hand guy and he did everything he could to just, all right, we got to rally. We got to end. At that point, I thought, all right, well, there's got to be some way. But I just there was just no way I had to step back. I had to just kind of get out of there. That's Rico Mandel the founder of Mise en Place, a foodie marketplace where you can buy delicious things and get recipe inspo. But Rico only got into food after his marketing agency business went bust. He was in a very dark place before finding his salvation. This is how Rico failed, what he learned about building businesses and a simple hack to make you feel better about your life, however bad things seem. Rico had started a marketing agency, which grew nicely in the 90s. The dot-com era meant lots of companies were awash with cash, but wind forward to the early 2000s and things looked very different. After I let go of that last employee, I mean, I was devastated. I had all this overhead that I had to pay. I was going into the office. There were days where I would just stare at my screen, had no clue what to do. I ended up getting you know, going to uh, see a shrink. And he prescribed some medication for me. Two medications, one for to be able to actually concentrate and focus. And the other one was for the depression. Uh, you know, I didn't have to take the, the depression medication for very long. The focus medication I did take for a while because that helped me to actually uh, get something done. And to do what I could to kind of start to serve to, to serve the few last remaining jobs, whatever I had going on. I mean, I was behind. We were behind on the bills, behind on the rent, behind on everything. And uh, I ended up making a deal with the landlord. He said, look, if you move out by such and such a date, we'll just call it even. You don't owe me a dime. Everything's good. I, I totally understand. Not a problem. And that was, that was a big relief in that because I was about four or five months behind, I think on the rent by that point. And so packed everything up, put most of it into storage and, you know, moved my office back home, had a little, you know, desk and whatnot and um, did whatever work I could do. But 
the year after that was just, I mean, I was moping around the house and um, really it, it sent me for a tailspin. After the dot-com crash, a lot of companies disappeared overnight. And that had a knock-on effect on Rico's agency, whose clients were mostly in manufacturing. They struggled along and were beginning to pull back when 9-11 happened, and US manufacturing just stopped. They didn't know what was going to happen. It's a cautious industry, and marketing budgets are the first to be slashed. This is what ultimately led to Rico's company's demise, and him wallowing at home. His whole identity had been wrapped up in the business. But there are lessons in how he got out of his funk. First of all, he spoke to people. You've got to express yourself. You have to grieve. And then there was something else he did uniquely suited to entrepreneurs. The other thing that really helped me get out of it was to go in a completely different direction and to do something that really resonated with one of my core passions. In my case, I wasn't even thinking about it. It was my wife who suggested, she says, look, you love to cook, go to culinary school, go become a chef, do something, you know? And I'm thinking, (laughs) and she says, and then she looks at me and says, but don't go to a stupid one, you know, like Fred's culinary school, go to a really good one. I said, okay, fine. So I uh, ended up enrolling in Le Cordon Bleu uh, here in Pasadena. I remember when I was applying the the guy said, uh, so how long have you been thinking about going to culinary school? And um, I said, oh, about a week. <laughs> and he just kind of looked at me like, what? You're going to spend how much and you're going to go through this and you've only thought about this for a week? And when I look back on that, that's one of the entrepreneurial things in my, you know, I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit. It's about being able to make a decision and then just get the decision done. I've never been the type of person that's going to ruminate on something for six months or a year or any of that kind of thing. Once I've decided, okay, yeah, this this looks great, then let's just do it. And that going to culinary school for the year changed my life. Completely got me out of my depression, got me back into business set me on a new course, gave me something where I did not, I was no longer, where my entire personality and being was just involved with one thing, which was my marketing business. And now I could see there were other things. There were, it expanded my life in in many, many ways and set me on a completely new course at that point. Entrepreneurs are doers. So by all means, grieve for your failure but then you just need to go again. You can't let the failure define you, but you have to take the learnings with you. One of the lessons I learned from there was watch my overhead very, very carefully. Don't bring on any employees if you don't need to. Today in my business, I use people from around the world. They're all freelancers. They they work for me. They work for other people. I can work from anywhere. So I don't have I, I don't have to have spend the money on rents and and all the overhead. And the other thing is to take the time for yourself. In business, business is not just about doing, 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 and continually doing, and then you're working 15, 18, 20 hour days and and just 
you don't get a medal for that. What I've learned is I need to take time for myself. I need to have time to think. I need to have time to get off of the bandwagon, the craziness of business and to be able to come up with ideas and solutions, especially as a founder and a business owner. You have to, as quickly as possible, take yourself out of the day-to-day business. And what I mean by that is work on the things that you're best at and get everybody else to do the other stuff. Sure, in the beginning, if you're bootstrapping everything, you've got to, there's, you have to do more on your own. However, the faster you identify what your, as they call it, zone of genius is, where you're just really good at these few things, then it's going to make your business life so much better and so much easier. Because quite frankly, especially today, it's easier than ever to hire people from all around the world at all different price points to get whatever it is that you need to get done without driving yourself crazy. Something I think people struggle with is finding their zone of genius. People are generally not very self-aware. It's something I've had to work hard on myself. And I think Rico has a good way of looking at it. One thing I was told years ago by a mentor I had was the thing that comes easiest to you is the thing that you should be charging the most for. I understand that now, but at the time I'm going, okay, so talking to people is easy for me. Gathering a bunch of people together, that's easy. How do I make money doing that? I mean, come on, you know, this is, what's the deal? I read a, a book by Mark Randolph called That Will Never Work. And that clicked because here he is one of the founders of Netflix and it's his story about that. And one of the things he said was that, you know, I... I'm a big picture guy. I'm not a detail guy. I have detail people that I work with and they, so I can come up with the ideas. I can think about it and what, and, but I give it to other people to actually implement. And when I thought about that, it's like, yeah, that's how I've always been. I can come up with solutions, ideas, all kinds of things, but don't ask if I get bogged down in the implementation, then literally it's bogging everything down. So, Rico learned how to get the best out of himself, but there's another thing Rico does in his personal life every day, which I'm a huge fan of. It can get some grief, but trust me, if you do this rigorously for 90 days, you will feel better about your life. Well, what I do is I, every night before I go to bed, I write out 10 things that I'm grateful for. Most of the time, it's things that I, that are in, that occurred to me that day. you know, my kids do come up quite a bit in my gratitude lists, but you know, it's, I'm, I'm grateful for like tonight, I'll say I'm grateful for the podcast because it, it was an awesome opportunity and we had a great conversation. It was a lot of fun. I'm grateful for, you know, technology. I'm grateful for the people, I, the conversations that I had, et cetera, et cetera. And the other thing for me personally, I always, I like to bring my gratitude in, into a little bit more of a spiritual realm. So at the end of my gratitude, like for instance, I'm grateful for my two kids that I love and adore. And I thank God for that. I'm not a terribly religious person. I use the term God more as a spiritual, universal kind of energy. But that way it takes it away from me and it puts it more into the universal spiritual energy of 
it's not me doing all these things. It's the collective that gets me through. And then I compose that in an email and I send it off to three people that I know that are part of my gratitude practice. So they get it every night. Rico Mandel, who found his zone of genius after hitting rock bottom. Thanks for listening to this episode. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta. If you like this episode, please subscribe or follow us and leave a review. See you next time. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.